Well, good morning. Yeah, it wasn't bad for a bunch of people that uh, this is New Year's Day for. I'm glad that you're here. You guys are like the few or you're like the tough, all right? Because you guys got up this morning, even after a late night, or, or you actually survived the Christmas season. Congratulations. You're here and you're not like ill. So we're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you are ill, just do one of these for us, okay, please, this morning. But we're glad that you're here this morning. If you can take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13, that would be great. Matthew chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, there are some lovely looking people. You can look at them now. They have lovely red shirts on. They are passing out Bibles. And I've got a word for you today. We're going to be opening up the Bible. So if you did not bring a Bible, there is no shame, even now, even now, take the time, slip up your hand and ask for a Bible. You will need your Bible as we dive in this morning. So make sure you flag one of those lovely people down. We want a Bible in your hands. And if you do not have a Bible in your home, this is an opportunity to have one. So take it, put your name in it, take it home and use it well. Use it well. This morning we're going to be talking a lot about a phrase or a statement, the treasure of your heart. The treasure of your heart. That might sound like a really weird or very Christian thing to say, because it is. What do we mean, like what does that even mean? What do we mean by the treasure of your heart? Well, we understand what treasure is appropriately. We understand that treasure is something of value to us. Something that we treasure. We use that language. It's something that we desire, something that we want is treasure. But sometimes we get a little bit confused when we start talking about the heart in our culture. All right? In our culture, when we think about the heart, we can think about it in a mystical sense. Or sometimes we can think of it as this organ that, that pumps the blood through our body. That's not the way, though, that the Bible talks about the heart. You see, because when it was written in Jesus' day, when we're talking about the heart, we're not talking about the organ. All right, We're talking about the way that they saw the heart. And they saw the heart as the very core of who a person is. The deepest seat of yourself. In which... And out of which come your deepest longings, affections, your desires. So when we are talking about the treasure of your heart today, if I was to put it in our own language, what we're actually saying is, what in the deepest sense of who you are, at the core of who you are, what do you really want? What do you really pursue? What causes you to do the things that you do? What motivation is the why behind what you do? And as we talk about the heart today, and as we are open up to Matthew 13 today, I don't want to just enter into this lightly, because what I'm talking about is at the core of you, at the core of me, what motivates you? What do you pursue, and why do you pursue it? What is the treasure of your heart? But we need to go to the Lord today because our hearts are often divided and our hearts are easily deceived. So let's ask the Lord who can change our heart to make us ready for his word that can do that in us. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we realize that we are coming before you with maybe hearts that aren't even ready to hear from your word. Lord, we do give you our heart this morning and ask that you would have your will and your way done there. Lord God, we realize that the heart is often deceived. Lord, let our heart not be deceived today. Lord, may your word penetrate into our heart, helping us to discern what our heart's motivation, what our heart's wants really are. Lord God, as Proverbs said, the purpose of a man's heart is deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Lord God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would give us wisdom and insight into our very own hearts. Not those of our spouse right now, not those of those people that that tick us off right now, but Lord God, let us draw us to examine our hearts with your word today. Lord God, shine your light on the dark areas of our heart that we may surrender them to you. Lord, I ask this, and I pray everybody here is asking that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. You got your, you got your finger there? If you need a hand, you can always go to the person next to you. Make sure you follow along with us. I just have one verse. It's a parable, which is like a story with a message that comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44. Verses 44. It's a one verse parable, and this is what it says. The kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up, and then in his joy, you see it? What word's there? Joy. Okay, let's try that again. What word's there? Joy. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I want you to see something here, okay? He discovers something that he wants, right? So he has a want, and he has a thought, and he has an action in order to get the reward. We're going to be talking about that a lot today. So he has a what? A want. He has a thought. He has an action in order to get what he wants, the ultimate reward. And so what does he do? He gives up everything. He liquidates all of his assets in order to get that which he wants deeply, which his heart desires. That is the kingdom of heaven. That is what it is like, according to Jesus. There's a parable right after, and there's multiple parables that reflect this very thought process. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, what on earth does that mean for us? Maybe you've never gone walking in a field and discovered something of great value. If you're like me, I have never done that, okay? Let's put it in our own world. Let, let, let's say you have a shed in your backyard and your shed needs new hooks in order to hang your shovel, right? And this shed is an old leaky shed. and it, It's not something that you would put nice new stuff in. So where do you go in order to purchase hooks for that shed? You go to Kijiji, right? That's where the deals are. I'm going to go check out Kijiji. So in Kijiji, I'm going to go search for stuff for my shed. I want you to imagine with me you're on Kijiji, all right? And you find... 
you know, those hooks, but you keep on, keep on checking out because Kijiji is kind of addicting like that. It's like, oh, there's all kinds of good deals here. Like, I could go get this, and I don't even need it, right? But then what do you see? You stumble across something. It's an ad. It says, mansion for sale. You're like, on Kijiji? Right? That's not the place where you sell your mansion, just, you know. On Kijiji, a mansion? Really? Come on. And it piques your interest. What do you do, right? You click on it. What kind of mansion are we talking about here? And then in the description, you realize this isn't just any mansion. This is Oprah's mansion. All right? This is Oprah. And you're like, scam. Skip. You know? No, this is Oprah's mansion. Oprah's mansion, which she refers to as the promised land, ironically. All right? The promised land is, is not just a typical, like, house that you're going to find even around here. This is 42 acres of property in Montecito, California, with it, both an ocean view and a beautiful mountain view. All right? So it's, it's like, it's as close as you get. All right? It's the promised land for Oprah. All right? So Oprah has posted this online. It's her biggest giveaway yet. She is giving away her mansion, which actually, if you go to Celebrity Buzz, all right, which I did, it's a credible resource, the celebrity buzz is worth $55 million. She's selling it for $55,000. I mean, Oprah is famous for giveaways far before Ellen DeGeneres was famous for giveaways. Oprah was famous for giveaways, right? And Oprah, this is her biggest giveaway yet. It's a steal. You're like, no way, it's real. But you do some research, you find out it's real. What are you going to do? What's your next move? First off, you Google, where is Montecito, California? Because California is only something you've ever seen in the movies, right? Maybe you've been there. You're lucky. All right. California is one of those places. It's like, what is this? This is a real city. You start Googling. You find out what the deal is about this place. And then what do you do? You get your people to talk to her people, right? Probably lawyer up with a good lawyer. You don't have $55,000. What are you going to do? You're going to liquidate all your assets. If you get the $53,000, what are you going to do? You're going to work your tail off to get $55,000 because with that $55,000, I can get a massive mansion worth $55 million. Right? Wait, who? Okay, if you're like, I would never do that. Really? Who would do that? Who would do that? Who would liquidate everything? I'm going after this. Why? It makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense. So what do you do? You buy that sucker for $55,000. And then you promptly go down for like a week down to California because you realize that you can't even pay the taxes on this thing, right? And you sell it. And then you move up back into God's country. I didn't say it was a perfect illustration. Okay. And you move back up to God's country. And what do you do? You retire with $55 million American. That's like, what, $2 billion Canadian? Right? I don't know what the taxes are on that. But anyway, you move back up and you retire in God's country, right? Then you volunteer all your time to the bus ministry, which, by the way, we want you to talk to Bob about the bus ministry. Just a little <laughs> plug there. Oh, but seriously, wouldn't you do that? Absolutely, you'd do that. Well, the treasure that Jesus is talking about isn't even to be compared with Oprah's fake promised land. We're talking about the real promised land. We're talking about not just a temporary reward or treasure. We're talking about an eternal treasure this morning. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you really want it? Do you think about it? 
Do you act on it? Will you get it? That's the question that we're asking today. Is do you really want heaven's treasure? Not sure? Do you think about heaven's treasure? What occupies your brain space? Do you go after heaven's treasure? Maybe your answer, honestly, is no, I don't. Or maybe not, not as much as I should. But today I want you to start praying to God. Even now, you, you, don't, you can just pray to God, God, show me what temporary desire, what earthly treasure am I trying to go after that's getting in the way of your promised land and reward there. Go before the Lord and assess your heart today. As we get into this message, if you need to stop listening and just get right with God at any point, bow your head and pray. Get right with the Lord. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Okay? It's a section of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to read a section for you. Okay? We're going to start in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Again, if you don't know where that is, make sure you ask. There's no shame in knowing where it is. We are going to God's word together. We're in this together. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then it says this. It's important given what we know about the heart now. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. I'm going to say that again. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot... Serve both God and what, is your, what does yours have there? Money? Mammon, maybe? Earthly treasure. You can't go after both. You can't serve both. You keep going down. It, t- it tells you, don't go after the things of this world. Don't be anxious about getting those things. But then verse 33, it says this. But, or rather... Seek first the kingdom of God, which lasts forever, by the way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, go after these things. God will take care of what you need in this world. Go after what lasts for forever. You need to understand that this little section of Scripture that we just kind of read together is not just a standalone section of Scripture. This is a part of what we call today the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that was very popular and still is very popular of what what Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago. And there's a reason why his disciples keyed in so much on this sermon. Because this sermon is no joke. This sermon isn't just some light, feathery sermon. 
Jesus is hitting his disciples hard in this sermon. It's much like Moses in Deuteronomy 30, where he says, hey, before you I present life and death. Choose life. Jesus is saying, I present before you eternal life in heaven or eternal death in hell. Choose heaven. And over the course of this message, he tells us what it takes in order to get eternal life. Even if you look at the very beginning of it, in chapter 5, he goes through the Beatitudes. Saying, blessed are you when things stink for you. You know? Why? For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Here's an example. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, or happy are you. All right? Happy, joy, remember? Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. Rejoice, there it is. Rejoice, how can you possibly rejoice when this is happening? Rejoice and be glad, why? For your reward is on earth? No, no, for your reward is great in heaven. In other words, go through what you're going through now Give it all up. Liquidate your assets now that you might make sure that you get your reward that lasts for forever. Go after eternity and reward there. Then it keeps going throughout this section of Scripture. It says, hey, hey, what do you need to get there? You need stand out different kind of good people, salt and light. In fact, your good works need to be even more so than the scribes and the Pharisees. What? These are the religious elite of that day. you got to do more than them. No anger in your heart, murder. No lust in your heart, adultery. Don't commit adultery. Don't make promises or oaths. Allow unfairness to be done. And don't retaliate. What? Pray. Love your enemies. Why? Do good in secret when possible. Why? 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 How? Why? Because it's worthwhile in the end to turn the other cheek. It's worthwhile. It's not about establishing your kingdom here. It's about the one that's to come. Do do good. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Why? Because you don't want the props here. You don't want the well done from other people here when you're doing good. You want the well done when you enter the kingdom. That's your reward. That's what you chase after. That's what motivates you in all of these things to do right. That's the want that leads to the right thought life, that leads to the right action life. Pray rightly. How are you to pray? With an eternal focus. At least that's the way he teaches us to pray. Trust God. Don't be anxious about stuff here. You know where you're going. Don't look to others in judgment. Right? You're better than them. Like you've somehow earned heaven. Be wise in your efforts of caring for people as people that have one life to live for eternity. Ask for things in faith as you pursue heaven. Do to others what you want done to you. Do God's will. Why? Because you want reward. Because you want eternal life. Because he is your Lord. He is the treasure of your heart.
The focus of Jesus' whole sermon, the focus even of the verses we read earlier, is this, the ultimate goal, the ultimate pursuit, worth pursuing, worth living for, is not temporary stuff. It isn't your reputation that you have to retaliate for. It isn't the pleasure that you can get here and now, even in your thought life. The worth living for thing is only one thing, the eternal reward. Put it another way, if you treasure heaven as your want, you will seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and you'll live right and attain heaven's reward. So, how are you doing with the Sermon on the Mount? What's your thought life like? Maybe this morning, what was your thought life like when someone cut you off on the way? Or when people wouldn't get out of the house on time? I'd say we all have some work to do, especially me. I think when it boils down to it, we discover that all of our hearts are divided. We're going to talk a little bit about how do we improve, how indeed do we improve in this way. But if you want to do all of these things that is talked about on the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, it comes down to one thing in common. Heaven is your pursuit, not the earth. If that is your, what you really want, then it'll direct your life's actions. Let's go over again, Matthew 6, 19 through 33. Just a, just a couple of uh, picks I'm going to pick up from there. Do not collect treasure on earth. Don't chase things that you can get here. He's using wealth as the example, but even earthly bliss, safety, belonging, success. Don't go after these things, but collect treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. In other words, your deep desire will reveal what you really treasure. You cannot serve God and earthly treasure. It's not a both-and situation. Therefore, therefore, something's got to come first. What needs to come first? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Pursue eternal treasure Pursue his eternal treasure. Pursue Jesus. What's the message of all of the Sermon on the Mount? Want the kingdom more than stuff here. Pursue the kingdom more than stuff here. I only have three questions that I want to deal with today. Okay? Three questions. The first is this. It's just how does this all work in reality? In my life, how is this supposed to work? Well, we've kind of already talked about the want, thought, action, reward. In other words, if you have the right heart treasure or the right wants, you're going to have the right thoughts. And if you have the right thoughts, you have the right actions, and you get the right reward. However, that's sadly not the way our hearts are naturally wired. Are they? I mean, ever since we're little kids, I, I can look at my, my little girls now, and I can see their natural inclination isn't, I want heaven. It's, I want candy, right? Or, or, or I, want, I want my sister to stop pulling my hair, right? Or I want to have fun right now, Daddy, even though you're exhausted and jumping up, you know what I mean? They want stuff here. We naturally want stuff here. We want the earthly bliss, pleasure, we want comfort, don't we? Oh, if I could just get more comfort, if I could get more rest, if I could just escape. 
We want earthly safety, control of our situation, as if we could get security if every piece was just right. We want peace of mind that we create. We want earthly success. We want power, authority, prestige, or a name that's going to live on past yourself. Or whatever else you define success as. Looking good, having lots of money. These are the things our hearts are naturally inclined to. And therefore, our natural thought process is one that is not good. And our natural action process is one that is not pleasing to the Lord. In fact, we can even come here every day and do good things for the wrong reason. So that we get a pat on the back here versus the well done from our Lord when we go to see him. Let's give an example. If earthly bliss is your pursuit, then your thought process is how do I get that? Maybe if you start thinking about a relationship that you have. Maybe you have a spouse. If earthly bliss is my goal or my deep-rooted want in my heart, I expect my spouse to help out in that process. And if they don't help out in the process of my comfort, of my pleasure, of my earthly bliss, then it can result in actions. Maybe passive, maybe aggressive, Because they're not helping me get what I want. And so therefore you try to shape them to be the people that get you what you really want, which is comfort. Which is escape. The reward, though, is always temporary, isn't it? Even if you get that little tiny moment of, it's so fleeting. so here one minute and gone the next. And yet we chase after that our whole lives often. Maybe that's our idea of retirement. What about earthly belonging? Whether it's, a, whether it's attention or acceptance, affirmation from other people. When we meet other people, what do we think? Do you like me? Am I cool enough? Am I pretty enough? And often, what does that lead us to do? It leads us to make compromises in order to be accepted. The sad part about it is, what good is that in the light of eternity? Friends now or friends forever? Friends based on what you do? Jesus accepts you despite what you do. Because he loves who you are. The reward for going after acceptance is always temporary. The only thing that lasts is what lasts for forever. The pursuits for the kingdom of God. On the other side of things, if, if the kingdom is your pursuit, all right, and you happen to be a person, let's say you work construction, all right? You work construction, so your thought process in going to work every day isn't how quickly can I get through the day to my comfort at the end of the day. My thought process today is how can I store up treasures in heaven? How can I please my Lord and my God? How can I work as unto Jesus today? It's not even how can I please my boss, it's how can I please my Lord? The result might be that you please 
your boss and receive the well done from your boss. But the bigger boss that you're working for, the well done that you're working for, you will receive when you enter the kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. The place, by the way, the kingdom, is where all of these heartfelt desires are fulfilled. That bliss you're looking for, that belonging, that safety, that success. That's where it's really fulfilled. Satan only has cheap imitations to offer on this side of heaven. First question, how does it work? How does it apply? I hope you can see, even in yourself, how those little desires in your heart can lead you astray. Second question, how am I doing? What do I really desire? This is self-assessment time. What do I really, really want? Who has my heart? Who has my soul? Who has my mind? Who has my strength? Or what is it that I am chasing after? Where is your treasure? A good way to check yourself might be this. What do you spend your brain space on? We've got limited brain space. Some of you saying amen. Some of you thinking of the other person sitting beside you saying Amen. Hey, we have a nothing box. Okay, ladies, come on, just give us a break. All right, what, what takes your brain space? What's your thought life like? Do you spend it on eternal stuff? Do you, do you spend it on temporary stuff? Is it on you all the time and what you can get, or is it on Jesus and what lasts for forever? What do you spend your time on? If I was to take your calendar that's in your phone or on the wall at home, what occupies your strength, your hours, your limited resource of time on this earth? What do you spend your strength on? What aspirations do you have? What are your future hopes? What, what, do, you, what do you think about for tomorrow? What do you want for tomorrow? Is it all about me and here or God's coming kingdom? Is it about your comfort or is it the establishing of kingdom, many people coming to be with Jesus forever? What about your prayer life? It's a good filter to check. What do you think about, and therefore what do you pray about? Do you pray for more comfort here? Or do you pray as Jesus taught us to pray with eternity in mind? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. What do you pray about? Is it about you or is it about Christ's kingdom? Side note here, those religious dudes, those guys, the scribes, the Pharisees, they wanted a Messiah. They wanted a Jesus really bad. Why did they miss Jesus? Because they wanted Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom where they would have prestige, wealth, comfort, you get it. They wanted an earthly treasure. But Jesus wasn't here to offer an earthly treasure, and he's not here to make your life roses. He's here to give you something that will not last as long as you live in the body. He's here to give you a new body and a new hope, a new destination, a perfect destination, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow. 
where those longings are finally fulfilled. That's what Jesus came for. But if we really examine ourselves, we're much like the Pharisees. Our prayer life, our thought life, our actions are often bent towards establishing an earthly comfort and an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly one. We have divided hearts, don't we? How do we improve upon this? How can I improve upon my life's focus, my heart's focus? I just want to reiterate, there's really only two focuses that are given here. Okay, it's either an earthly focus or a heavenly focus. A fleshly focus and a temporary focus or a spirit focus that lasts for forever. There's only two options here. There's only two things you can chase after. How do I get to have more of a kingdom focus? Spirit focus. One, look to Christ. Look to Christ. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Actually, let's go to Philippians chapter 2 first. You're going to notice in Philippians chapter 2, there's lots about Jesus. And how Jesus was willing to give it all up. He was willing to become a servant of all. He was willing to even die a sinner's death on a cross, something he did not deserve. Why? He did it, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He went and did it for an eternal reward. Look to Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 13 says this. Why do we look to Jesus? Because it's him. It's him that works in us to want it, to will for it, and to work for it. In other words, if we want a different heart, if we want our desires to change, it starts with going to him. You go to Philippians 3, verse 3, it says, Put no confidence in the flesh. You can't achieve something eternal just by trying harder. Rather, put confidence in the Spirit. Put confidence in Jesus. Look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Talks about it right there in Philippians 2, but it also talks about it in Hebrews 12. It says, hey, for the joy, wait, there's that word again. Rejoice even when it's hard, because great is your reward. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Right? He endured the difficulty. He spent it all. He He liquidated his very life. For what? The eternal treasure. And in the same way, we ought to follow his example. Paul gives us a great example in Philippians 3, verse 7. Make sure that you go to verse 7 with me. I just want to read this, and I hope that you'll follow along in your Bible with me, because this is powerful. This is profound. Paul's, who, who, a guy who's given it all, by the way, is writing to the church at Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Philippians 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, Paul had a lot. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. You see it? There's his treasure. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You ever think about heaven? Where's everything focused? Every time we talk about heaven, who's getting all the glory in heaven? Jesus. Heaven is all about Jesus. He is the treasure of heaven. For his sake I have suffered the loss 
of all things, and I count them as rubbish or garbage in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or doing really, really good, but that which comes through faith in Christ. By grace we're saved through faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him, that's his whole focus, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and my share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I don't care how many assets I have to liquidate, by many, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead that Jesus alone offers. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect. Guess what? Your heart is going to be imperfect. All right? We're talking about it slowly becoming more aligned with the heart of Christ. You're not going to be perfect tomorrow. Even Paul, this guy who wrote a bunch of the Bible, didn't have a perfect heart. Okay? Not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm not going to be distracted by my past, and straining forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's like, I'm not chasing anything in this world anymore. It's not worthy of my pursuit. And if you're going to spend your life, you better make sure that you're spending an asset of something that lasts for forever. He says, I'm not going after that, that stuff, that temporary thing. I'm going after Jesus. Why? He gave it all and he went after me. He made me able to go and be with him forever. Then it says this, let those, who are, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, you're not mature in Christ because you've been a Christian for a long time. Your maturity in Christ is measured by how much you want Jesus and his eternal treasure. There are people who have known Christ for a couple months that want Jesus more than those who have been in the pew or in the seat all their life. But those who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise or don't have your mind set like that, then God will reveal that also to you. I hope that he's revealing that to you today. By his grace. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. This is the sad part. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, there are people that don't get this, that don't have their minds set on things above. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, the things they can satisfy themselves with here. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, Christian, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my reward, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
What do you want? Do you want what Paul wants? Do you want what those who are mature in Christ want? What is in your heart? What do you really desire? What do you really desire? Why don't we uh, turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I, I just want to read another section of Scripture for you. It's Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It says, set your, set your minds. Set your minds on heaven, not on earth. So first off, we see that we are to look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? We are to think on Jesus and on his things. Philippians 4, 8 tells us to think on the good things. Colossians 2 tells us to think on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Ephesians 4, verse 20, 23 says, put off those old desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Don't go after those old desires your heart used to long after. It says, renew your mind in, in uh, Romans 12, verse 2. And therefore offer your body as living sacrifices in order that you may attain eternal reward. Why does it keep talking about the mind? Why does it tell us to be intentional about what we think about in Colossians 3? Because what you think about matters. So look to Jesus, but think on Jesus' things. Why do we have to do that intentionally? Because this world is going to throw lies at you. It's going to dangle little lures before you. It's going to say, this is what you really want. Go after this. And every commercial, and every TV show, and every place that you go to work at, they're going to talk about earthly treasures over and over and over again. But you need to replace that lie that that's worthwhile with the truth that God and his kingdom are worthwhile. That's where God's word comes in. It renews our mind. In John 17, 17, it says that we grow to be like Christ. We sanctified by the truth and that his word is truth. In Psalm 119, it says this, I have hidden, listen, I have hidden your word in my heart at the very core of who I am, that I might not sin against you, that I might actually pursue, my thought life would pursue, my action life would pursue that which is good. So look to Jesus, think on Jesus, and then Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, we're taught how to pray. Because we need to call out to Jesus. Notice it's all about Jesus. Call out to Jesus when you pray. Pray for what matters. You see, the spiritual battle for your heart starts on your knees. Say, hey, hey, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then when it comes to you, when it comes to your thought life and your action life, lead me not into be tempted. Tempted. Deliver me from the evil one. Why? Because I don't want to live for the things of this earth. I want to live for your will and for your kingdom. If you're going to win this battle, it starts getting in God's word. It'll change your thought life to Jesus' things. And it goes to calling out God to God in prayer. His Spirit can lead us to victory. His Spirit can change our heart. Do you want a changed heart? Go to Jesus for a changed heart. Then what? Then follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. 
You can hear a whole message like this. You can hear a message every single Sunday. But are you going to do it? Are you going to go after it? See, the conclusion of today's sermon is just like the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, Jesus, Jesus gives all of these things and he says, hey, 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 go do it. Though it costs you everything, go do it. He says, hey, enter the narrow gate that you might enter into heaven. That gate's a lot harder than the wide gate. Go after it. He says, hey, how do you know when, you, when a person is chasing after the right things? Look at their fruits. Verse 20. You'll recognize them by their fruits. The heart reveals itself in its action. And then it gets into verses 21 through 23. It says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or pays lip service to me as Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not with lip service, it's with action that our heart is revealed. You can call him Lord, but do your thoughts and do your actions declare him as Lord? He's not just looking for lip service. He's looking for those who have made him Lord of their heart, their pursuit, their desire. Verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, on Jesus. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Are you founded on the rock? Do you do that which Jesus has told us to do in, the great, in, the, in all his great commandments in this Sermon on the Mount? And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What's Jesus saying? What am I saying? Before you, you can either pursue life or death. You can pursue heaven. Or you can pursue that which is going to die along with you here on this earth. Choose life. Choose life. Will you choose life? Do you really want heaven? Has God revealed maybe that there's some inconsistencies in your heart today? There's some idols that need dealing with? Will you look to him? Jesus? Will you think on Jesus and on his things? Will you call out to Jesus today in desperation, knowing that he alone can change your heart? heart's desire to eternal things, not temporary things. I'd like to share with you a quote that my boompa, which is like my grandpa, wrote in my grandma, my nana's Bible. I had the great privilege of doing her funeral recently. It says this, and they're both in heaven now, which is sweet. Only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. In my own words, I put it this way. You got one life to live. 
You only got one. Are you going to live it for eternity? What treasure will you spend yourself on pursuing? Are you chasing that which is dying or chasing that which is eternal? Life or death. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you? Let's do it together. Let's pray. As we bow our heads, I'm just going to be using Psalm 51 to pray for us today. This is the psalm that David penned after messing up with Bathsheba. He went after the lust of his heart. And when he realized his fault was in his heart, he penned this psalm. Let's pray. Lord, we call out to you like David did. Convicted, broken, recognizing that our heart needs some changing. Lord, we don't want to chase after these other things. We don't want those other desires to win out. We don't want your voice to be clouded out by the things of this world. Therefore, we pray this. Have mercy on me according to your love. Pray this along with me, church. Have mercy on me. Make me right. I've sinned against you by treasuring idols of this world more than you. I've been doing that since day one, really. I know you delight in a right heart. Therefore, teach me your ways in my heart. I'm convicted. Restore my heart to joy. Please create in me a clean heart. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast, a right spirit in me. According to your mercy, make your Holy Spirit's voice ring in my heart louder than the flesh today. For then I'll walk in joy and I'll show others what you have shown me. Surely you're pleased by the broken and contrite person. Lord, my prayer is that you will have your will be done. Your way in me and in my heart today. Get the glory in my life again. Change my heart to be more like yours. I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.